Welcome to the clubhouse. Get the beers in and sit yourself down. Hello, here we are again for another... Uh, uh, what, right, we need a word for this. Was it live cast, podcast? Yeah. What are we going to call it? No, just, right, just us talking. Right, we're, we're talking about the six stations here. Um, My ring's just broken. Oh, great. Fate. Right, everything's falling apart already. Uh, we're here to talk about round three of the Six Nations. Um, two more rounds left um, in all different levels. And I've got an interesting thing here in the notes. Sarah, I wonder if you could explain this to people. So, England are on to win a triple Grand Slam. So, no team has ever won a triple Grand Slam bar France in 2002, which means the women's team won a Grand Slam, the men's team won a Grand Slam, and the under-20s team won a Grand Slam. So... That's what England are on. They're three from three in all competitions. So I think that's something that maybe people haven't been talking about. Everyone's talking about England going for the record run yeah. of test wins and go for another Grand Slam, but it's actually across all levels that yeah. England are doing well in the six, six nations, which I think just makes it quite an interesting well, tournament for the next, you know, leading into these next two rounds. I'll tell you what, it really heats things up for the, the next games against Scotland, certainly, because they've got that to go. Um, we're going to talk a bit about. All, how those rounds break down but we got a bit of news as well um, that affects England women who are obviously chasing the Grand Slams that Katie McLean has just been banned for three games three games three weeks yeah well it's three weeks but they're not going to count this weekend because there was she wouldn't, yeah. be, wouldn't play this weekend so yeah she can't play again until the 26th well the 27th of um, March so, so yeah Without Kate McLean, that's a big, big loss for England women. Obviously, but well, I suppose you could say it presents an opportunity for them to pick um, someone else uh, nearly in the position. Um, but let's go through the games and how things go. Um, we how we went at the weekend. Do we introduce ourselves? We haven't. No, you we haven't. Right. I think we can say to, to my left here's Sarah Mockford looking lovely, Hi. and Alan Dimmock looking lovely as well. So uh, and I'm uh, Owen Jones. Yeah, it is. So that's who we are. So let's crack on. Right, I've, I've totally missed all of that. Uh, <laughs> right, forget about that because we're going to talk about the England's men's 17 wins in a row. But their game was the last game that we saw of of the round three in the Six Nations. Owen Jones, quite a bit of stuff coming up for England to deal with. Ruck, we're talking Ruckgate here. Yeah, well, I'm buying in with Lawrence Delali, who said suddenly absolutely everybody's an expert in the kind of in ruck laws or indeed the the the, the rule book. Um, most of the Twickenham crowd, from what I could see on the train coming back from uh, Murfield, didn't have a Scooby Doo. What was going on in that four, first forty minutes? And as we all saw, Dylan Hartley, James Haskell, the England players didn't seem to know what what, what was going on. So it was an absolute uh, mess. And the fact that it's kind of gone into a fourth day of. Uh, uh, being on the kind of sports news agenda says, says that there were some very strange occurrences happening all together. Who can give right, you more I, details? All right, I'll, we'll, we'll dig down into this. But the thing that annoys me, first of all, is well, that doesn't annoy me. I just I struggle to understand how how this has happened. Is we're in the age of one percenters, you know, the little things that make the difference. The water carriers for teams all have mics. They all have earpieces in. They know what's going They're in constant communication with the coaches. Why did it take Sarah Mockford 40 minutes for England to figure out what the heck was going on? I don't know, and I think the thing is, this whole debate about whether it's, in the, whether it's bad sportsmanship to do those tactics 
is taking over from what the bigger question is, is why England couldn't react quicker. Like, the fact it took them so long, especially like James Haskell asking the questions, Wasps have used that tactic this season. They scored a try from it against Toulouse. I just don't understand. And apparently in the autumn, like David Pocock did it against Ireland, and Paul Gustard was asked by Alex Lowe of the Times Mm. that week in the lead-up to the England-Australia game, are you prepared for that sort of tactic? And he said... Yeah, we've got a plan for it. Well, he might have had a plan for it, but he obviously didn't tell the players what the plan for it was. And I just think, in a way, the Ruck debate is distracting from what was a really poor performance from England, probably their worst 40 (laughs) minutes under Eddie Jones. And I think it showed, you know, no one in that team sort of took control and decided what was going to happen and I think what they should do. And if it was New Zealand, I imagine they would have just started running straight through the middle. Here's the thing as well, is that for some reason all the dialogue's about there's only one possible way that you could play against this pick and go, it would fix everything. These guys have played level. Most amateur rugby players have a pretty simple playbook where they can go certain things. You know, there are certain things that rugby players from every level know. You know, I'm talking dummy scissors pop, you're talking wipers. And one of those things is George Gregan made it very famous was the inside ball off nine. Mm. If you'd even done that, you didn't even have to be as as brutal as a pick and go. A wee inside ball off nine with a ten sitting right behind you in the pocket yeah. in case you just went, actually, maybe we just want to boot this away. We'd have sorted things right away. A couple pick and goes and something. But um, the BBC did a, a highlight show um, to round up the weekend and Paul Connell was on it and he hit the nail on the head about this he said Has, however disruptive it was as soon as you break it for the first time that's it it's gone the, you know there's, it's of no use to Italy whatsoever so congr- I, I say congratulations to them for bringing it in because it, they had England on the ropes um, in that first and half they had England on the ropes in the second half as well when yeah. Campagnari yeah. scored that brilliant try but it's like Italy would have gone into that game and thought yeah we'll try this I don't even think they would have thought it would have been that effective for 40 minutes. They might have thought, yeah, we'll get away with it for 20 minutes then we'll probably have to revert back. But why, you know, keep using it until yeah. someone figures it out. And, and obviously Eddie was fairly outspoken afterwards compared to kind of underarm and cricket that he so likes. But, you know, it did it un- uncover or overlap the fact that, you know, England didn't play very well. You know, Owen Farrell probably had the worst game I've seen him in an English shirt for his 50s international. He's got so much credit in the bank, it doesn't really matter. But he had an absolute shocker. And a lot of the players, they did not cover themselves in glory. So are we over... Is he overplaying the fact that England just haven't been firing, even though they're on the 17-game winning run? Are they? Well, also, he said it wasn't a game of rugby, so does that mean we knock one off? <laughs> and then, so when they, if they get all the way to Ireland, it's just drawing level with the All Blacks run rather than overtaking it. I do appreciate, though, that it's like, well, I don't really like that, so can we ban it now? Is that <laughs> all right? Well, it's just, I just feel a bit sorry for us that everyone's talking about banning it now when so many other teams have used it before. Yeah. But just because it's Italy and England didn't like it. So, but I mean, you know, in a large part, you could say it's distracting a lot from what has been a a poor performance from England. But here's the thing I thought of the other day: is do you think it actually is a a good device to help to help England? Because on paper, if you look at it on paper, seventeen wins a row, sixteen under Eddie, um, things couldn't have gone any better in terms of results. So it's getting harder and harder to manufacture situations where it's us against them. You know, do they? Do you think that they need that against Scotland? They just need to almost manufacture something to what, to make it that little bit harder. Of... Yeah. Yeah. Because well, let's be honest, they're facing. 
Um, Scotland at Twickenham. Scotland haven't got a good record at Twickenham. No. They're chasing down a, 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 to match a record for t- consecutive test wins. Yeah. You know, do you feel that they've got to almost make something up to make it that little bit harder? I, I think uh, Eddie Jones is, is just really frustrated that England are not hitting their straps. You're, you're absolutely right and that they are seeming to win these games any which way. You know, they only beat France and Wales in that last 10 minutes. You know, they were you know, losing those games going into the kind of f- final stretch you know, against Argentina. They had a man self. They have found a way to win, but they, you know, I was out in Australia and I thought they played really well out in Australia, albeit they gave away a lot of tries. I thought they, the performances were good, but we are, are we seeing, you know, he's just really trying to G them up to get over that line and get those 19 wins and what goes beyond them? Because, Again, it's uncharted territory. This is a record-winning run ever. You always think Eddie would be more relieved if if they lose at some point. I'd like to come, uh, for those just joining us, this is the (laughs) Rugby World um, Facebook Live. We're talking about round three of the Six Nations. This is the editorial team from Rugby World. Um, We've just been talking about England versus Italy, but Sarah, just to give, because again, we're talking about what Eddie Jones is doing and a lot of the time, and you can see Conor O'Shea getting more and more frustrated. What have you made of Italy so far in the Six Nations? But do you think they, they can use this to kick on now? Well, interestingly, they've got France next, who haven't been... You know, they haven't set the world on fire. They've played well in patches, but not convincingly. And they've had some quite good results against France in recent years. So I think it will make them kick on. I know that Connor was really annoyed with some of the refereeing in the Wales game. He thought a lot of illegal things got well, didn't get noticed. Um, Obviously, the Ireland game was one they just want to block out completely. But, you know, I'm not surprised they came with that sort of tactic. People use the word damage limitation. I don't think that's what he would say. He was saying they thought it was a tactic that they could help them win the game. That's what they came to do. But if you've been said, oh, England want to take you to the cleaners, we're, you know, Italy should be kicked out of the Six Nations. Surely you're going to do whatever you want to prove that you should be in the competition. And I think it'll give them some confidence. I don't think it was convinced, you know... It wasn't. We weren't saying wow, but they. I mean, the Campagnari try was brilliant, and he is. You know, he. Why wasn't he starting for the first two games in the centre? But I think he's going to be there from now on. I think it'll give them some confidence. I think Lavotti at Loosehead put Dan Cole under a lot of pressure. Their scrum for 50 minutes was, you know, pretty much ruling England. So I think there'll be some positives they'll take into the French game. I can still see that they might finish the whole tournament. Five losses for five. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt sorry for for Conor O'Shea. I think everybody would say he's a you know he's an intelligent you know driven coach, but when they got absolutely humped by Ireland, he had to stand there in front of fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people, you know, having his side getting absolutely smashed. You know, as, as an Irishman, it would have been quite quite a mixture of emotions. But you know, I think in a way. For that kind of 60, 70 minutes, he, albeit they were kind of getting derided for their tactics, I think got a little bit of pride, pride back in that the players could could. I think that's the important thing because um, we had. Sorry. What are you laughing at? The comments. Duncan Bannatyne is not in the house, <laughs> although I'd love his money, Stuart. <laughs> and it's just really tickled me. So Fair enough. <laughs> some good, like. some good comments coming off. Because <laughs> um, well, I think the important thing for. Uh, for Italy, is, is that pride thing. Do you want to go away and have a little moment with yourself? <laughs> Stuart, Barry is, Stuart Barry is making us laugh with his, uh, his, his look-alike ease. Right, let's move on, because innovation, Owen, 
you could say good bit of innovation from Italy there. Scotland, their attack plays in a very um, adventurous style. How do you think that'll go against, from what you saw against Wales at the weekend, how do you think that will progress Scotland's attack? Well, again, it, all, it comes down to whether the, the pack can give, give the backs a platform to kind of play, you know, they work their angles, work their wrap rounds, work their inside balls. You know, that, that, that's the one thing is that the, the Welsh scrum didn't dominate as the English scrum is ex- probably expected to dominate. But if they can get parity up front, they can, of course they can cause problems. I just, you know, I love the way Finn Russell, he plays with his smile on the face, you know, he turns his, his side to the, uh, at, at, you know, the defenders and you, you just don't know which way he's going to go. And, and as I think Andy Nichols said, you don't even, Finn doesn't know what he's going to do sometimes, but I love that unpredictability. You know, there's a piece of skill by Stuart Hogg, you know, uh, where he just, the, the deftest little knock behind. Uh, oh, the chip over the, the top. The, the, it was yeah. just, a, just, just actually a chip on, but it was just so, it was a, you know, Lionel Messi would have been proud of it. I just like the, the, the I like exactly. I like the way they play with a little bit of joie de vivre, for want of a better uh, term. And 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 yes, they they could they could, you know, they could fr- fr- frighten England. I think the worry for them is the scrum. I don't, you know, I think Xander Ferguson is going to be a really good tight head. I think he's still finding his way. I mean, he is only twenty one. Twenty one, yeah. Um, and I think that is wearing them or target them. Scotland want to just do all they can to avoid any, you know, get the ball away from the breakdown really quickly. Of try and avoid having a scrum. It's not always easy. Depends what the weather's like on that day. But if they can get the ball wide, then I do think they'll be able to cause England problems. But I think in a way, because England have been playing so badly, they, it could be one of the worst things to happen, and they could go into that game really looking to, you know, head to Dublin, Grand Slam on the line. So what do you think actually happened in that game? Because Wales gave up, uh, you know. We're on top on a lot of facets in that first half. I mean, when Liam Williams went in the corner there, you thought, all right, okay, what, particularly with the injuries that Scotland had, what sort of game is this going to end up being? But then Scotland completely turned it around in the second half. Yeah, I, I'd said I, those first 40 minutes, it could have so, you know, um, Lee, Lee Halfpenny, you know, pushed a kick to the right, would have been 16 6. Scotland got a kick just on half time, you know, it became a 13 9 game. I think that. Uh, you know, Warburton and Tipperick dovetailed extremely well in that first half. Uh, you know, the tackle and jackal, and you know, but Hamish Watson came on after 24 minutes because John Hardy went, and in the second half, they just started to build confidence, uh, confidence because the Welsh side, for all the kind of lions they have, all the experience they had, they just didn't make much of an impact. It's like they blew themselves out. And Scotland suddenly thought, you know what, this side, Welsh side, that we haven't beaten for 10 years is beatable, and they just grew in confidence and by the end of the game you, you kind of knew the, the Welsh sails had been blown out and, and Scotland were ramping you know, Finn Russell he knocked over his kicks you know in the absence of Greg Laidlaw and you know believe me it was a victory I was told by many Scottish journalists that, that meant a huge amount to them What do you make of that um, Alan Wynn wanting to go for the posts and the kickers overruling him and wanting to go for the corner? Well this, today I think they've just had a press conference where Lee Halfpenny has kind of put his hand up and said that it was his fault. He was taking the, carrying the can because he didn't, um, he didn't say have enough confidence to grab it and say yes, I'm going to take it. I'm going to follow what you said. He kind of maybe shied away because he didn't. He felt they were difficult kicking conditions. So he he's been spoken to by Neil Jenkins. But again, it's all about outcomes. You know, you you kick to the corner, you take take the the line out, you win it, you drive over. Nobody's thinking. Everyone's thinking. Great call. They've been brave. They've been bold. It's about outcomes. They didn't get the right outcome it all went pear-shaped but it wasn't just about that Wales didn't take their opportunities they had a couple of opportunities whereas 
Scott Scotland did. You know, there was the, the Reese Webb going in the corner. The Jonathan Davis kind of side through the middle. Didn't his pop pass didn't go to hands Reese Webb. They had opportunities to to win that game in that first sixty minutes. Didn't take it, and they are struggling to score tries. I think they've scored thirty four tries in. 16 games, less than two a game, whereas Ireland and England are both averaging over four. I know, so. and I think the thing is, when, you're, when you need something to sort of spark that, it was really surprising to me that they, do, they brought Jamie Robertson and not Sam Davis, who I think you know, might have sparked something a bit different. But what will be really interesting on that Friday night in Cardiff is that both Ireland and Wales have, in the last couple of games, have turned down points mm-hmm. to go for the corner or scrums. Yeah. In Dublin, Ireland scored a try off one scrum. Yeah. And then they went to, for the line three times, didn't get anywhere. Mm. And I think it'll be really interesting to see if they continue with those tactics against... And this was in the first half for Ireland. In the second half, they kicked their goals. So it's a real sort of interesting change in tack. But mm. it'll be interesting to see if they continue with that. Or I know they will say, oh, it's how we feel on the pitch and what mood they're in and stuff. But I would say in the first half, unless, you know... You think, yeah, we're really on top of them here. They're down to 14. You know, someone's been simbined or something. Mm. You take the three. But, yeah. you know, maybe I'm just being boring. For, for those just joining us here um, on, on Facebook Live, where this is the Rugby World editorial team. We're talking about round three of the Six Nations. Um, plenty of talking points in there. Um, if you put questions up, we'll try to get round to them. James Heisen, nice to have you with us, James, yeah. um, has just asked about Louis Pickamol. So I suppose good time, Sarah, to talk about about France and, and where they've gone. Um, what, what, have you, what have you made of France so far? Because a lot of people, some factions are saying that this looks like a better France than we've seen for some time. But then if you look at it, again, on paper, the results that they've had, they've not been scoring bucket loads of tries. They've not been you know, putting games away and getting big wins. What have you made of how they are? I think like? they have been better. I think we're, you know, but is that think- just an aesthetic thing? Not necessarily, because I don't think... Um, everyone keeps saying, oh, we want to see the flair. You're not going to see games like you saw in the 80s anymore. There just isn't... Defences are too good yeah. now. You're never going to see that. And um, But I do think they're better... Like just They seem better organised. I actually think Baptiste Serran at Scrum Half is a really real bright spark. He adds a lot of tempo. And him and Lopez do seem to be clicking now. Yeah. I mean, the loss of Fafana's massive. It would, be re- would have been really interesting to see Lopez, Fafana, Lamarat. And I think Lamarat had a really good game at outside centre on, um, well, in the first half at least against Ireland. And Gail Fiku was quite good at inside centre as well. I would say, in re- answer to the question about Pickamoles, I mean, I don't think he was as. Influential. As influ- yeah, in the first two games, he was massive. Like against England, phenomenal. I don't think he was able to get as much go forward against Ireland. I mean, it wasn't, it was a miserable day. The conditions were really bad. And that was a very intense contest. And, he, you know, it was very much for a defence yeah. against defence and he, he wasn't able to get us over the game line as often. But I think he's still the only forward in the top five in terms of metres yeah, made. Yeah, over 200, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, he's second. Yeah. And he's, you know, yeah. so I think he has. And it's really interesting that he says he went to Northampton to get because he wanted to be fitter and he thought if he was fitter he'd be better. And I think France wow. are reaping the rewards of that. And it'll be interesting to see if more French players come over. I've got yeah. two questions for you, Owen, that come off of that. Is... Um, we talked about the physical side of things, and it did. It was a particularly physical game, a lot of shunting, but 
<laughs> with that, what, how big a part do you think that Ireland's halfbacks played in that? Because we've got Gavin Mears in the Telegraph today saying that Corum, with the leaders falling by the wayside, with guys like Alan Wynne Jones not being able to put put their hand up, with uh, Owen Farrell and Dylan Hartley not covering themselves in glory at the weekend, yeah. that actually Conor Murray's put himself in the frame. What do you make of him at nine, but also the return of sex and how significant was that? Well, I think you know, as we saw against against Scotland, Conor Murray is almost a stronger proposition with Johnny Sexton outside, and they they do have an understanding. With, with Ireland, they, they just dovetail so well. You know, something that you'd think would be compelling. You know, when, when it comes to Lions selection, we've got such short preparation time. You know, to put halfback combinations together would seem sensible. So that that's kind of the, the, the one point. Johnny Sexton looked fired up. You know, on on the, on the weekend, he's had a real stop-start kind of last eighteen months. Really, we know the class is there, but he just hasn't been able to string. Games together, so he actually says he thinks he's been quite lucky with injuries. Well, he's had. I'd like to look at the stats of how many games he he, he is maybe missed, but he is. He knows that the the eye, all eyes are on him, and that uh, Warren Gatlin wants to be, you know, convinced that he's got the fitness to kind of take, you know, a ten go, ten uh, game tour out in New Zealand. And and on on Saturday, to me, it looked like he was pumped to be showing. You know, he's the man who can yeah, steer the steer the Lions. Really impressive. I think he's been at. When he means says he's lucky with injury, maybe means that he hasn't had really long layoffs. Long layoffs. Yeah. It's been they've been annoying injuries more than serious ones in that they're niggles that take a few weeks to recover from. But to come back off, everyone's saying, oh, he's so fragile at the moment, and he did take a massive hit in the second half and was down. And I was sort of like, oh, is he going to go off again here? He's not shy of chucking it about though. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he is so like he's not the biggest but there's some of the defensive work he puts in is amazing and I think you're right him and Murray it just brought him yeah. being there brought out the best in Murray yeah. and Murray really dictated that game but I thought they were both brilliant um, do you think Murray is captain material well, though I find no. it really interesting because you said Gavin Mayer said that I thought Tom English said that as well today oh, on the BBC he? yeah I really like Murray but I don't he's ne- I don't think he's ever captained Ireland and is he, how often is he captain Munster? Like, that's Stander and Omani, isn't it? So how much captaincy has he done? I don't know how that would sit with yeah, him. I, I, I think you need I a bit more experience. I a, a captain. I do agree. I th- like, I know everyone's saying how good Reese Webb's playing, and I think he is definitely second in the Lions pecking order. I'd, I'd use him off the bench. I think that's where he could have more influence. Murray, for me, is the starting nine, has been for the last... You know, it's his well, to lose. Be, uh, yeah. yeah, New Zealand, yeah. And um, what will be really interesting in the next round, it's going to be head-to-head Webb-Murray... And it'll be bigger Sexton as well. So yeah. I think that's it's a really... The, the Lions does make a lot of intriguing subplots. I know we all get a bit bored talking about it. 50 days, isn't it, to go, isn't it? Until yeah, the, 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 until the squad announcement. Until the squad so. announcement. So set your diaries, everybody. A Friday night game as well, I suppose, getting used to playing at night. What, what yeah. do you expect from that fixture? I just think it's going to be a brutal, brutal game. You remember 2015, that 74-phase defensive set from, from Wales. The Welsh team it's really do or die uh, we haven't even talked about the fact that they lose the next two games they once again have that magical kind of uh, way of dro- of being in the top eight of the world rankings for four years and just before a world cup is picked they seem to drop out so they've got you know rob howley's trying to keep a job there players playing for the lines they've got so much riding on it so it's boom or bust for them and Ireland are very comfortable coming to Cardiff. They've got a brilliant record. I think they've only lost there twice in about the last 20, 20 years, so they will not fear coming to Cardiff, but I'm just expecting that it's going to be ridiculously intense. I think um, the a- atmosphere that night could be brilliant. I'm actually yeah. really look, I'm going, I'm really looking forward so to it. So are that you one. a fan in general of Friday night games? I don't think... I'd, I'd be more of a fan if actually the transport worked. So, I mean... <laughs> worked. 
if you if you were an Irish fan, I mean, I suppose it's a bit different with an Irish fan because you'd be flying over from Ireland anyway. Yeah. But there's no way you could get back. Like if it, when it's been Wales England on a Friday night, no England fan can get back to no. London unless they leave before the end of the game, and no one wants to do that. So I think that's the thing. If they're going to have these late kickoffs, there needs to be more sympathy in terms of fans getting there and back. But I just mean. For that, I I remember going to the Millennium for the Ireland Games during the World Cup and like that Ireland Ireland Argentina game. The atmosphere was phenomenal, mm, yeah. and I I still think the Principality Stadium, Millennium Stadium, yeah. whatever you want to call it, best stadium in the world. Especially like atmosphere, brilliant. It's just the way it is. It's just a cacophony of sound, and I think that you know, like you say, Wales have got so much riding on it. Ireland, you know, they're going to want to win that because they want to be taking the title. Yeah. You know, they want England to have to come game. to the final game and beat them to win the title. Mm. So I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, for those just joining us, you're watching our, our Facebook Live. This is the Rugby World editorial team. We've been talking about, we have been talking about the the first three, the round three of the Six Nations. But actually, there were some other significant games in Europe um, this week um, and around the world. Actually, Uruguay beat Canada in the North American Championship, which is an enormous win for Uruguay. Canada have been ranked above them for for some time in the world rankings. Uruguay have managed to pull that win off, and it's it's a bit of a theme going at the moment because for all the talk of Georgia and we are going to come to Georgia in a second and talk a little bit about it come back mm. to, to Italy, the Italy point that we were making at the top of this this little show um, actually Germany got a recent win Spain got a recent win now Germany also went on to lose heavily to Georgia but these are the kind of results Owen that you can see when teams play against higher ranked sides more often when, they, when there's something to aim for what do, you, what do you think that says about the current climate of international well, it just rugby? It just says that there are tier two sides who are very, very keen to be playing at a high level. And the more internationals they're playing, you know, putting their wits against sides, maybe a couple of places above in the world rankings, the better. Because, you know, outside the kind of uh, the Six Nations, there are sides like Georgia that really would like to get, you know, the massive exposure. And let's, let's, let's be honest, the kind of the revenues that could come back through getting that, those huge TV audiences. So it's, it's, it has to be seen to grow the, grow the game. We can't just kind of keep this closed shops as the kind of old colonials in France and Italy just keeping it all to themselves. We, we've got, if, if rugby is serious about growing its game, all these internationals that, that go ahead, you know, they need to just keep keep that keep investing that money in world rugby to make sure these games go ahead. Here's an interesting point. Do you think that there's too much focus on going, well, that's one big tournament, we'll put one team up into that or we'll have mm. relegation between that, but then there's the others who are fighting to get better that have then lost a very good side <laughs> that they could play against. I mean, one of the biggest, most significant results was Germany beating Romania. And there's a lot to be made of German rugby. There's... There's a real hope that they can kick on because they've got they've got a, a strong backer financially. It's obviously in the centre of Europe. It's a very rich country. They're, they're, they've been pushing for some time and they've been very vocal on the sevens circuit in trying to push their claims because one of the biggest problems in sevens is that there's no second tier competition yeah. below uh, below the, the the World Series. And if you want to get into that World Series, there's only one event that you can attain that and that is in... Uh, is in Hong Kong, yeah. um, but there are also invitational slots, and some teams like Japan a few years ago um, were were all were outside of the top tier, and they kept getting invited to tournaments before Hong Kong, so they were actually honed at playing against better teams. Germany are fighting to get a, a second tier competition of that. They actually want to have an Oktoberfest sevens, which I think would be <laughs> <Wow>. incredible, <laughs> yeah. um, for obvious reasons. Um, but then that's the whole thing of they wanting to push themselves. Do you think that not having 
um, a competition for, uh, a competition like Georgia for them to play against because they could raise their game massively against Georgia. I suppose it opens that whole can of worms. But of what does Georgia yeah, do worms, then? Right. Because yeah. I think that's the thing. It's like Georgia at the moment, they're being Germany, oh yeah, they're great. And I do think it's brilliant that rugby is growing in Germany. Yeah. I also think it's an indictment of the modern game that people want Germany to do well because it's a commercial entity. That's where they're going to get more advertising and TV revenue from, yeah. whereas Georgia, oh, they might be better, but you know, what Where's advertisers the are there in, Ger- in yeah. Georgia? But what about Georgia? They're beating Germany 56. How are they going to develop? You know, they went on that tour to the Pacific Islands last year, came back unbeaten, and yeah. I know that's what World Rugby are pushing for, to get them more tests against teams in that area that, that's going to challenge them, and that would have been really significant for them. They obviously had the test against Scotland in November, but they need to be playing more games against teams above them. And if the Six Nations are going to say no, the individual unions should be inviting them to play tests in the autumn. Yeah. Let's not just bring in the ones that are going to raise, bring in all the money like New Zealand and Australia. They need to be spreading those fixtures well, Wales around. are playing Georgia, aren't they, in, in, in the autumn? Oh, well, good on Wales then. Yeah, good on, good I on Wales. I suppose the thing is as well is that, I mean, there's, we could talk about the whole the overhaul of the whole system because down the, down the divisions... Then you just get back to, like, global season and it's just... Yeah, well, there's that, but also there's teams that play for two, you know, two years... To play against, so there's, there is relegation and promotion, but it's, it works in two-year cycles. I know, and it's do, do Rugby Europe and the Six Nations actually need to come together as one ent- entity? Because that's the problem at the moment. The Six Nations is a se- separate, totally yeah. separate. Yeah. Rugby Europe is saying we're not getting any help, and Six Nations is saying, well, it's not our job to help you. Yeah. But all this talk of promotion and relegation is completely pointless because you're right. They play in a two-year cycle, and the Six Nations has played in one. And Especially really for World Rugby, can World, World Rugby well, intervene in this kind of, you know... In yeah, I don't know, it's like how they can actually work together rather than, like, fighting each other, and yeah. I don't really know what the answer is. So I, Matt Dawson suggested the other day making it an eight nations with two groups of four, but I think then you'll... If Wales not playing England every year, you sort of lose something of the... Ma- you know, everyone wants to see yeah. those matches every year, it's an annual and there's, game. And there's obviously, you know, we're not in the elephant in the room, is, is the domestic game, who is looking, getting more and more bigger, bigger... TV deals and they're trying to contract the Lions, contract the, the Six Nations. They, that's what they're pushing for. So any expansion, how, where, where, how many weeks are there in the year? Player well, for welfare. It, you know, well, while rugby's going in the right direction, it's there's some pretty kind of tough decisions. Maybe even getting made. too big for itself and yeah. start to eat itself a bit because no one really knows where to fit where they're going. Yeah, I think we could talk about this one round and round and round and round and round. Um, just going to wrap it up here. Thank you very much for those that have that watched this uh, Facebook Live. We've been talking about round three of the Six Nations and of course other things with the global game. There's a few little things um, to pick to pick out that's that's happened. We just mentioned the domestic game there and. Um, uh, you can see some, there were some big results, particularly in the Premiership. We saw Bristol beating Bath. That's an enormous result for them. Yeah. We saw Saracens stopping the rot. Um, keep following Rugby World because we'll be trying to, to keep up to date with these kind of things. But just just some sad notes to end on is that um, obviously our thoughts are with the families of Dan Vickerman and, and Ellie Norcott, who sadly passed away in the, the last few weeks. Um, thoughts from all at Rugby World go out to them. Um, but apart from that, we'll be keep chucking on. We've got the Six Nations round again. We've got a fallow week, and then we've got the Six Nations again coming up after that. There will be a new ish- edition of the magazine coming out next Tuesday as well, so keep your eyes peeled for that. When we next come on for Facebook Live, we'll tell you a little bit about what's inside that, that issue. And apart from that, thank you very much for listening. And I'd just say, if anyone's got anything they want us to discuss on the next time we sit down, drop us a line on social media. And maybe yeah, we'll, drop us a comment. If it's a good question, maybe we'll answer it. It's not. Yeah. Maybe we'll ignore it. <laughs> Thank you very much.